You're listening to Sermon Audio from First Baptist Church of Van Walsteen. For more information about First Baptist Church and our services, please visit www.fbcva.com. Let's go to the book of Psalms this morning. Psalm chapter 5 is where we will be. If you're paying attention to that little bumper video... um, probably noticed that what we find in the book of Psalms is um, a wide range of emotions. Uh, and we're going to be looking at some of those things together over the next few weeks, Lord willing. Um, I'm wearing this t-shirt very intentionally today. This is the camp t-shirt for a kid's camp. I got to go over uh, every evening uh, the last three or four days and spend some time with some of the coolest kids on the planet uh, and their leaders, and so we had a lot of fun over there together. I usually go over late in the afternoon and uh, go to worship with them and have dinner and lead church group devotions and then come back late at night, and I find myself dragging in on this Sunday. Um, but they all got back just a few minutes ago. In fact, they should have been coming in about 11. I saw Zach here, so they must have gotten in. And hey, there's Jaden. Look at you in church. She's calling me P-Mike this week. She said, that's Pastor Mike, so I'm P-Mike now. Sounds like a rapper name. I know, it's kind of cool. But anyway, we just had a great time, and this is kind of the theme of uh, the week over there, and the kids would chant, disciple, disciple, be, do, be, do, um, because uh, that's the essence of discipleship. It's not just a list of things we do. It is being who God wants us to be. And so I just want to remind you, uh, is this is a busy time. Uh, rarely does it happen this way that we got a whole group coming back from camp, and then within a couple of hours, we're going to flip things over and send a whole other group off. Um, but it's an exciting time. And when you come and participate in a, a chili cook-off and an auction and all of that kind of stuff, uh, you are enabling kids to go to camp uh, in many cases. And so... Uh, They encounter um, just the truth of the gospel, uh, some of them for the first time. Uh, And I saw kids step out and make decisions for Christ last night and all those things, really, really important. And uh, our church, they were the green team this week, and whenever they're gathering for worship, the kids are all in there screaming their team's color and all that kind of stuff. So we were the green team this week, and I looked up one evening, and there's Marshall Rose standing there, his hair painted green, and he's leading the charge. So um, good stuff. Um, don't ever think that your giving doesn't matter. It does so much more than keep the lights on and pay the preacher, okay? I'm so glad that you pay the preacher, by the way, but it's it's so much more than that. Um, It it enables us to send leaders uh, to camp and for kids to to be in an environment, in a setting where they are unplugged from the world in, in ways that maybe they aren't normally, uh, and it's just a really, really important time. So thank you for that. Uh, But this morning, we are pressing pause uh, on our sermon series through the Gospel of John. We're going to take the next several weeks through the summer here uh, to open the book of Psalms together. This is a collection of 150 poems, basically, uh, expressing a wide variety of emotions, uh, including love and admiration toward God, sorrow over sin, dependence on God in desperate circumstances, Uh, The battle or the tension between fear and trust. Uh, Walking with God when the way seems dark. Thankfulness for God's care. Devotion to the word of God. Confidence in the eventual triumph of God's purposes for the world. And we find all those things and many more in the book of Psalms. The Hebrew Bible labels the book of Psalms Sefer Tehelim. 
It means book of praises. And it points to the use of the Psalms as praises offered to God in public worship. Uh, some people refer to the book of Psalms as the Hebrew hymnal. Um, it's, it, they're not all songs necessarily, and I, I don't think all of these would have been sung uh, as songs. We don't really have the music uh, for them. Uh, some people have put the Psalms to music, and it's a very beautiful thing. But the acts of praise, which we find sprinkled throughout the Psalms, they serve as a prominent theme, or a, we might say a flavoring uh, of the book's contents, without overshadowing other acts, such as lament or instruction. The full range of emotions and acts found in the book of Psalms, from adoration and thanks to needy cries for help, think Psalm 88, which is a, a desolate moan. It's hard reading. Praises to God offered to him in the gathered worship of his people. Our English title comes from the Greek word solomos, which translates the Hebrew word mizmor, which is a song. And it's found in many of the psalm titles. Many psalms indicate uh, the author or the sponsor of that particular psalm, while many of them are anonymous. We don't know who actually wrote them under the inspiration uh, of the Holy Spirit. The standard uh, way that we learn the authorship of a psalm is by the word translated of. And so you'll notice uh, before many, if not most of the psalms, you'll see words like, this is a psalm of David. And so there are 73 psalms of David, for example. And there are uh, 11 psalms of the sons of Korah and 12 psalms of Asaph and uh, two psalms of Solomon. And there, Psalm 89 is ascribed to Ethan the Ezraite. Uh, psalm 90 ascribed to Moses, a psalm of Moses. And so Many of the psalms also have historical settings in their titles, giving us an indication of the context of the psalm's writing. One of the reasons that I always recommend, if, you, if, you're, a, um, if you're someone who it, it does a Bible reading plan, okay, and I, I do en encourage you to have some type of a plan. It may not always be to read through the Bible in a year, but don't just be um, haphazard in your Bible reading. And one of the things I always encourage is that you do a chronological reading of the Bible, and so it will, it will take you through Scripture in a fresh new way. And one of the things that it will do many times is it will insert many of the Psalms into the historical narrative of the Old Testament. And so you will see many times when this Psalm was written. It was written in this particular context, and it helps you better understand not only the historical narrative and the nature of what's going on there, but, but why the Psalm itself was written. And we're going to see that, I believe, in today's uh, Psalm as well. And so I want us to consider for just a moment, kind of by way of introduction to where we are not only today, but through the rest of this series, in Psalms 3, 4, 5, and 6, you find an unusual pattern. Um, it, we don't know much about how the Psalms were collected or arranged. Um, we do know that the Psalms are in five books. If you've, you may not have paid attention to this, but in most of your English Bibles, there is a heading uh, in, in front of each one of the books, the five books of the Psalms that say book one. Like you'll notice in your Bible, if you look down at Psalm 1 right now, most of your Bibles, it says book one. Okay, And so uh, they are arranged into these five books. The first two books are largely Psalms of David. While the last book, which is Psalm 107 through 150, largely has Psalms that were written after the exile, including many uh, that were very likely written by Ezra. 
Uh, and so I believe God's hand was guiding every step from the inspiration of the individual psalms to even their arrangement and collection into the five books that we now have. And so I want you to bear that in mind. Now, Psalms 1 and 2 are introductions to the whole book of Psalms. And I say that because they establish the major themes of Psalms. And then Psalms 3 through 6 establish an interesting pattern. And I want us to, to focus on that for just a moment. Psalm 3 is a morning psalm. Most of you, if you have your Bibles open to Psalm 5, you probably also have them open to Psalm 3. And I want you to notice there in verse number 5. It says, I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I don't know about you, but the older I get, the more that is meaningful to me, right? It's like, I laid down and slept, and God woke me up again. <laughs> I was talking to somebody the other day who is significantly older than I, and um, I said, isn't it amazing what happens when you just keep waking up every day? One day you wake up and you're like, I'm an old man. <laughs> and that's because God has sustained us. And so that is a morning psalm. Psalm 4, you'll notice, is an evening psalm. It says, in peace, in verse 8 of Psalm chapter 4, it says, In peace I will both lie down and sleep, for you alone, O Lord, make me dwell in safety. Psalm 5 is a morning psalm. And we're going to look at that today. Verse 3, you'll notice it says, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. And then Psalm 6 is an evening psalm again. It says there in chapter 6, verse 6, it says, I am weary with my moaning. Every night I flood my bed with tears. I drench my couch with my weeping. All four of these psalms are psalms of lament. And are written by David when he was being pursued by enemies, probably either Saul or Absalom. They establish a pattern of life for us that I want you to notice. It is this morning-evening pattern. Morning and evening, morning and evening. Understand this, life for the believer is fundamentally spiritual warfare. It's spiritual warfare. And scripture would have us to understand that we have a very real enemy who has a very real desire to derail us, you might say. It was Peter who said, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, like a roaring lion, walks about seeking whom he may destroy. Now, we have to be careful in how we approach the subject of spiritual warfare. There's some who would say that there's a demon behind every bush and, and all these things. We should live in fear of this. That, 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 I don't think that's what scripture is teaching us. It does tell us that we should be very aware. Several years ago when I was traveling more and I was speaking in youth conferences and things like that, I preached a message called Secrets That Satan Doesn't Want You to Know. And at the beginning of that message, I would always ask the students, I would like, what do you think of when you think of the devil? And I would get answers like uh, a, a guy with a pitchfork, right? Uh, horns, right? You know, a little tail, all that kind of stuff. It was some kind of a caricature version of the enemy. Okay, trust me, our enemy, Satan, is not some cartoon character, okay? Or they would give me some description of a little guy that sits on this shoulder and says, steal the cookie, man. Well, you know, you got an angel sitting on this shoulder saying, no, don't. Okay, no, 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 it's, it's so, so much more than that. And so understand that, that the spiritual life is worth it. That's why we're told to daily put on the full armor of God and take up the sword of the Spirit, so we need to seek the Lord every morning and every evening. Now, why seek the Lord morning and evening? 
Is this some kind of a legalistic approach to our devotional life? I mean, is it to say that, you know, before the crack of dawn, you've got to be up and you've got to already have had an hour in the Word of God and all that? I don't think that's the point here. You see, what happens when we commit time, morning and evening, what we do is we remind ourselves, we remind, we're reminded of our constant need for the Lord. That's the pattern that we see here. So to say that we need the Lord every morning and every evening is to say that we need Him all the time. That's what it's really saying. Just as when we pray, give us this day our daily bread, that doesn't mean that we only need the Lord to feed us body and soul once per day. But that our constant moment-to-moment sustenance, body and soul, comes from the Lord. We're relying on you. It's a a state of dependence upon the Lord. Now, regardless of when you have your, your, your quality time with the Lord or your quiet time or your devotional time, whatever you may call it, Again, it, it's not about how early you get up or you getting up earlier than someone else. Or I know some of you would say, I am not a morning person. Like, my, my quality time with the Lord is late in the evenings before I go to bed and, and all those kind of things. Here's the thing to think about. Whether you really have a committed time, a time set aside early in the morning, that, doesn't it seem only reasonable that before we get started on our day with all the things that demand our attention and our our affections and all those sorts of things, that we would give the Lord some of our attention, right? That we would acknowledge in the morning, whether that's when you're shaving your face, guys, or, or whatever you're doing in the mornings, that you, that you are calling out to the Lord and simply saying, Lord, thank you. Thank you for a new day. Thank you that your mercies are renewed today. I mean, how weird would it be if in day-to-day life, I waited until like after 2 o'clock in the afternoon to ever have a word with my wife? To ever say anything to her. I mean, probably she's going to think something's wrong, right? And so this morning-evening pattern, I think, is so very important. And so today, we're going to focus our attention on Psalm 5. And I'm going to ask you to do something a little bit different today. I'm going to ask that you all stand with me. And we're actually going to read the fifth psalm together in unison. Okay, I don't want you to just listen to me read. We're going to read it together. Now, if you don't have an ESV copy of the Word of God, I'm going to encourage you to read off of the screen so that we're all on the same page, as it were. I will tell you the early service did pretty good with this, okay? They had a little, little bit of difficulty getting going, uh, but, then, but then they did great. So I have no doubt that you will be able to do this as well. So Psalm 5, starting in verse number 1, it says, Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry. My King and my God, for to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. But I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. Lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness because of my enemies. Make your way straight before me. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out. For they have rebelled against you. 
But let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord, and cover him with favor as with a shield. Thank you. Uh, You may be seated. Psalm 5 is a very helpful guide for how we are to pray in the morning, particularly. It's a morning psalm as we begin our day. And again, you'll notice here verse 3 says, In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. Now the word that is translated, I prepare a sacrifice, it's, it's often the case, I'm not a Hebrew scholar, but I will tell you that uh, many times whenever we see a phrase in English, many times it is one Hebrew word. It takes, it takes that much English to translate that one Hebrew word, okay? And so it, in, in the Hebrew that, that, that translates, I prepare a sacrifice, it actually doesn't explicitly mention sacrifice. It means to arrange. It means to lay out in order. In fact, in the Hebrew, the line literally says, in the morning, I arrange and watch. Or in the morning, I set in order and look out. The ESV footnote, if you have an ESV study Bible, you'll notice it says, I direct my prayer to you. I I think the footnote is right in seeing the verse as referencing prayer and not not a literal sacrifice. But the main translation is right in preparing it or in translating it as to prepare, to arrange, to set in order, even better. So in the morning, I arrange my prayer before you and watch. Or in the morning, I set my prayer in order before you and watch. And so in just a couple of words there, I want you to notice David is communicating two very vital things about his prayer life. One is intentionality. Can you say that you are intentional in your prayer life? Or is your prayer life more haphazard or more reactionary? Man, something's coming that you didn't see coming. Something kind of took you by surprise. Maybe it was a medical diagnosis or a financial setback or something in your day that just kind of you know, frustrates everything. And it's like, man, I need to pray. Now, I'm not suggesting you shouldn't pray in those moments, okay? But if that's the extent of your prayer life, there's probably not a lot of intentionality in what you're doing there, in your praying. And so there's intentionality here. But then I want you to notice the expectation that we find in David in looking for the answer to his prayer. So I think Psalm 5 is a pattern of how we should pray with both intentionality and with expectation. And so I want you to notice in verses 1 through 3, there is a plea. A plea. David begins with a cry from his heart, asking God to hear his prayer. Listen to the words again. Give ear to my words, O Lord. Consider my groaning. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God. For to you do I pray. O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. This is a very similar way uh, that he began Psalm 4. You'll notice there it says, Answer me when I call, O God of my righteousness. You have given me relief when I was in distress. Be gracious to me and hear my prayer. And so the first and most important issue in prayer is to know that God hears us. That God hears us. You see, if God doesn't hear our prayers, we're wasting our time. Fundamentally, prayer is communicating with God. 
It, it is talking to God. Prayer is talking to God. And if God doesn't hear us, then we're just talking to ourselves, and that's not really prayer. I, I think I'm, I mentioned several a few months ago now that I had to get hearing aids recently, and I'm still adjusting to these crazy things. Um, there is no setting, I will tell you this, for a room full of fourth through sixth graders screaming at the top of their lungs, okay, for hearing it. They're just not. But anyway, um, one of the reasons that I knew, and I'd actually known for a little while that I needed hearing aids, was because I would see the frustration on my family members' faces when I couldn't hear them. They would say something to me, and I would be like, huh, what? And then they had to repeat themselves, you know, that kind of thing. And you could just sense the frustration. And I grew more and more concerned that someone was going to say something to me, and I wasn't going to hear it correctly, and then I was going to respond inappropriately, and just all of those things. And it really affects you mentally, actually. Um, but just the thought that, you know, I'm, I'm talking to you, but you're not hearing me. In fact, there were a couple times when Christy and I, we were in a conversation together with someone or some people, and we would leave the conversation, and Christy would look at me and go, you didn't hear a word they said, did you? And it, it bothered me that she could tell, like, you right? Okay, so know this. God's not hard of hearing, okay? God hears our prayers, and he delights in hearing our prayers. Now, it's, it's a whole other message for another time. Scripture does teach us that, Scripture says, if you regard iniquity in your heart, the Lord will not hear you. Okay, that, so I, I understand that, and that's a, that's a matter of our heart condition before the Lord. But fundamentally, we have to know and understand God hears us, and if he doesn't, then, then what's the point? So one of the things that we confess in prayer is this. Listen carefully. Prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. Prayer is offering up our desires to God for things agreeable to his will. And so it is fundamentally aligning our will with his will. Okay, so we also see here an intensification of the language of David's prayer. You'll notice it goes from words to groaning to cry. David's desperation is deep. His emotions intensify as he is praying until he is groaning and then crying. The language here, it reminds me of Romans chapter 8 verse 26 where it says, likewise the Spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes with us with groanings too deep for words. You ever been at a place in your life where you didn't even know how to pray? It's just like, Lord, I, I, don't, I don't even know how to pray. And you feel like you're just, it's almost just like a, a groaning in your heart. God knows how to interpret that, okay? He knows how to interpret that. Okay, so the, 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 the same heart of the prayer, is, it, it's just amazing here. We, we see David addresses God as my king and my God. Very personal. My king indicates God's rule over David personally. The word king there emphasizes rule as protector and provider, and God emphasizes strength. So David needs God to protect and provide for him as his king and his mighty God. And the same heart of prayer is reflected in the Lord's Prayer when we call out to God and say, Our Father who art in heaven. And then we ask him to provide, give us this day our daily bread, and to protect us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And at the end of this opening section, David adds something in Psalm 5 that's not found in the opening of Psalm 4. And that is his watching for the answer that God will give. 
There's an interesting phenomenon that um, is becoming more and more common in our world today. Um, you know, it wasn't too, too many years ago that we couldn't imagine being able to pick up a little device in our hands, open an app or a website or whatever, do a little shopping, push a button or two, pay for that stuff, and have it delivered to your home sometimes that same day, right? Okay, some of you know what I'm talking about, okay? You, you know the UPS driver and the Amazon driver. You know them personally, right? Like you probably send them Christmas cards at this point. I mean, it's like you know their kids' birthdays, okay? I mean, it's been that way at our house for a while. We've had things coming in. You know, we've had this wedding in our family and all this stuff. Now, there are times when I maybe ordered a book or something that is important to me, and maybe I need it. I need it for study or for sermon preparation or whatever. And so I'm like looking for that package. I'm tracking the package, Right? And, and you can even tell on, on many of those apps, it will tell you exactly where the driver is even. And I'll be honest with you, there have been a couple times where I thought, I'm going to go find him, okay? Like, I, I, gotta, I need to get this, right? So I'm, I'm looking for the package. And it's not uncommon in our family to, you know, did my package come yet? Did, I'm, look, I'm waiting for this. I'm, you know, I'm looking for it. I think that's kind of the idea that we get here in David's praying with expectation, looking for, anticipating that God not only hears, but he answers. He answers. And so we see that expectation in praying. And I wonder, do we, do we pray the same way? Do we pray the same way? Or do we look at prayer more as, well, it's just kind of this shot in the dark kind of thing. I'm going to throw this out there and maybe God will answer my prayer. How do you, do you pray with expectation? And then I want you to notice verses four through six. Notice a proclamation. After David's initial opening prayer, he makes a proclamation about God, about who God is. And this is really important in our praying. Notice he says, for you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. The boastful shall not stand before your eyes. You hate all evildoers. You destroy those who speak lies. The Lord abhors the bloodthirsty and deceitful man. So what is David doing here in this declaration to God of his character? What he's doing is he is grounding his plea in the just and holy character of God. That is vitally important. David is being unjustly pursued by wicked, bloodthirsty, deceitful men. And whenever we approach God, we must come to him as he is and approach him on the basis of his character. On the basis of his character. So, so how does that work practically? Well, when we need mercy, we can approach God because he is merciful. When we are needy and we need God to meet our needs, we can approach God because he is good and generous. When we are being unjustly persecuted or pursued, as David is here, we can approach God because he is just and he punishes wickedness. So David's language here is very strong, may even shock us. And in our culture, we're accustomed to hearing all of the emphasis placed on the loving kindness of God and his compassion. But understand this, God is all of his attributes. He is all of his attributes. And if we start trying to delete certain attributes of God because they make us uncomfortable, we are no longer dealing with the one true God, but a God of our own imaginations. So prayer is grounded in the very character and nature of God himself. 
That's what David is doing here in this next section. God is perfectly holy and perfectly just, and he cannot delight in wickedness. He indeed hates evildoers. In Psalm chapter 7, verses 11 through 13, David writes this, God is a righteous judge and a God who feels indignation every day. If a man does not repent, God will wet his sword. He has bent and readied his bow. He has prepared for him his deadly weapons, making his arrows fiery shafts. Anybody got that hanging on your wall at home? I think I'll cross-stitch that one, babe. That look, No. No, here David finds refuge in God's justice because he knows that those who pursue him are doing so unjustly. And that David has justice on his side. And yet even as David is thinking on the justice of God, he knows that he himself is not innocent. He's not absolutely innocent or righteous. And so if God hates all evildoers and destroys those who speak lies, what hope can David have of approaching him? And that's where we move into verses 7 through 12. And we find three petitions. Three petitions. It says, but I, through the abundance of your steadfast love, will enter your house. I will bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. R.C. Sproul would often say that the most important word in the Bible is the little word but. And verse 7 here is a great example of the importance of this little word. God hates all evildoers, but even though I have done evil, is what David is saying. Through the abundance of your steadfast love, I will enter your house. You see, our hope in life, in eternity, and in prayer is found only in the abundance of God's steadfast love. The Hebrew word translated steadfast love here is hesed. It's one of the most powerful words in all of Scripture. Hesed means God's covenantal, loyal, steadfast love, mercy, grace, and kindness for his people. That's a lot of meaning packed into what is really three Hebrew letters. It is undeserved, freely given, covenantally committed love. And David says the abundance of it allows him, a sinner, to enter the presence of a holy and just God. And yet David does not forget that the God whose presence he enters is holy and just. And so he says, I bow down toward your holy temple in the fear of you. This is not some casual, trite, Jesus is my homeboy kind of stuff. That's not what this is. This is all-filled, holy, reverent worship. Based upon the very character and nature of God himself. So notice, David prays for himself. As David enters the presence of God in holy, fearful worship, the first actual request that he makes beyond asking God to hear him is for himself to be more faithful to God. He says, Lord, lead me, O Lord, in your righteousness. Because of my enemies, make your way straight before me. This petition is similar to to maybe a more famous prayer of David in Psalm 23, where he says, you lead me in paths of righteousness for your namesake. So David wants to walk in righteousness on the straight path of obedience, he says, because of my enemies, for two reasons. He is appealing to God's justice, 
And he must be in the, in the right in this situation for such an appeal to make any sense. He feels that he's being unjustly pursued. But he also knows at the same time, he knows the actions of his enemies will tempt him to sin, to stoop to their level as when he was tempted to kill Saul. How often do we pray for God to lead us in obedience? Lead me in obedience. How often are we concerned about righteousness and not about our comfort in our praying? Because let's face it, there are certain seasons and certain times and certain situations that we find ourselves in where we are tempted to to have what, what Zig Ziglar used to call stinking thinking. Right? There was a period of time as a 12-year-old boy shortly after my mom died of colon cancer that I was ticked at God. I was just mad. like, this is not fair. This is not fair. And in my 12-year-old understanding of things, I, I, I didn't understand so much about the character and nature of God and that even in the midst of this crisis in my life, my mom has now gone to be with the Lord and I'm It's like there was confusion and all those things. So it's like, that's what David is saying here. Lord, in the midst of this, as I'm being pursued unjustly, Lord, guide me in obedience and righteousness. Then I want you to notice that he prays for the wicked. And I'll get ahead here. David prays against the wicked. Some of you are old enough to remember an old song, May the Bird of Paradise Fly Up Your Nose, May Your Wife Be Plagued with Runners in Her Hose. Some of you are shaking your head right now, you know what I'm saying? That's like an imprecatory song, right? (laughs) That's what this is. This is an imprecatory prayer. A prayer which calls down judgment on the enemies of God. Notice, these are hard words to read. For there is no truth in their mouth. Their inmost self is destruction. Their throat is an open grave. They flatter with their tongue. Make them bear their guilt, O God. Let them fall by their own counsels. Because of the abundance of their transgressions, cast them out, for they have rebelled against you. The heart of David's request is make them bear their guilt. Let them fall by their own counsels. This is the very definition of justice. When someone is made to suffer the consequences of their own actions. You see, the reasons that David gives for why they're they're guilty and deserve such consequences are absolutely sobering. In fact, the Apostle Paul picks up verse number 9 from Psalm 5 here. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he actually quotes it in Romans 3. And he does it as a universal indictment against all people. I want you to hear the words of Romans chapter 3, verses 10 through 18. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. Sound familiar? They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So Romans 3, 10 through 18 would tell us that we, are among those whose throat is an open grave. Let that settle on your soul for a moment. 
it gripped my heart in my study this week. So I'll be straight up honest with you. As I was reading through this psalm and I was meditating on this psalm, I could think of all the they's out there. They do this. They are evil. They are so wrong. They are. And here's the problem. Particularly in our American culture right now, we tend to reduce spiritual warfare down to a cultural issue within our American context. I need to inform some of you that Target and Budweiser are not the enemy. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. There's spiritual warfare happening in those realms, okay? And if God convicts you to not shop at Target, don't shop at Target. That's not what this is about, okay? But I need you to understand this morning something really, really important in our cultural moment, okay? Scripture tells us that we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and the rulers of the darkness of this world. So don't you dare for a moment reduce things down to, well, the Democrats are the enemy, or the Republicans are the enemy, or this person, this politician is the enemy, or... No, no, no. And I I find myself mystified at how often we marvel at the fact that secular companies are secular. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? And do I want the world around us to embrace biblical values? Sure, but only because they've come to know Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. I fear in this cultural moment that if we're not careful, we will, we, will, we, will, we will look at the world around us and say, we want you to embrace our biblical values, but not necessarily with Jesus. If you just get in line, and I'm not minimizing some of the things that are happening in our world today. We live in a crazy mixed up world, to be sure. But let's not lose sight of the gospel and what we're really doing here. Have you ever had to eat your own words? I know I have. You ever been caught in a bit of gossip or in a, in a lie and your words were kind of thrown back at you so you had to deal with them? Imagine for a moment if that happened openly with every lie you've ever told, every time you've ever slandered someone, every bit of gossip that you've ever said, every unkind criticism you've ever given behind someone's back. What would you do? Would you be able to stand in the face of such a revelation, such justice? How much we need the Lord's mercy and has said love for us. So if you're reading through Psalm 5 and you're making a little mental list of all the they's out there, just go ahead and put your name right there among them. Because there's none righteous, no, not one. We all are in need of the grace and mercy of God. And then notice he prays for all the righteous. Look at verses 11 and 12, and we'll wrap this up. David goes on in this last section to pray for the righteous, those made righteous by the grace of God, those who take refuge in God alone. He says, but let all who take refuge in you rejoice. Let them ever sing for joy and spread your protection over them, that those who love your name may exult in you. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Because the Lord blesses and covers the righteous with his favor, with his pleasure, with his delight, with his acceptance, we can rejoice in him. We can ever sing for joy because we take refuge in him and he spreads his protection over us in all the ways that really matter. We can exult and rejoice and triumph in him. 
It's not because we're better than anybody else. It's because of Christ and Christ alone. So it's time for some honest, real-life application. And it comes in the form of a simple question. Do we pray like this? Do we pray like this? You see, it's more a mindset than it is about particular words. Do we have this mindset? Do we see ourselves engaged in true spiritual warfare surrounded by enemies? Do we feel the pressing need to have the Lord hear us in our prayers? Or are we content to just go through the motions, praying through maybe a list of requests, not sure if God hears or not? Do we watch for the answer to prayer? How much are we focused on the kingdom of God and his glory and the real good of his people? Or are we more focused on our creature comforts? I was struck by these words from John Piper about this mindset in wartime prayer. He says, until you believe that life is spiritual warfare, you cannot know what prayer is for. Prayer is for the accomplishment of a wartime mission. It is as though the field commander, Jesus, called in the troops, gave them a crucial mission, go and bear fruit, handed each of them a personal transmitter tuned into the frequency of the general's headquarters and said, the general has a mission for you. He aims to see it accomplished, and to that end, he has authorized me to give each of you personal access to him through these transmitters. And if you stay true to his mission and seek his victory first, he will always be as close as your transmitter to give tactical advice and send in air cover when you you and your comrades need it. But what have millions of Christians done? They have stopped believing that we are in spiritual warfare. No urgency, no watching, no vigilance, no strategic planning, just easy peacetime prosperity. And what did they do with the walkie-talkie? They tried to rig it up as an intercom in their cushy houses and cabins, their boats and cars, not to call in firepower in the conflict with a mortal enemy, but to ask the maid to bring another pillow to the den. May, May the Lord make us prayer warriors. Not couch sitters or pillow arrangers. And I think as we have an understanding of the patterns of prayer that we find in the Psalms and through Scripture, God will help us. If we could for a moment bow our heads and close our eyes. Maybe you're someone who has only ever really looked at the Psalms as devotional in nature. And would maybe in an effort to enhance your devotional life, would even find yourself maybe skipping over certain Psalms because uh, they weren't nice and shiny. They were raw and real with words like groanings and cry. I don't know where you may be in your life right now, what season you may be in, what 
what crisis you may be experiencing, walking through. But I hope and pray that through this text today, you will understand the very foundation of our praying is the character and nature of God himself. And that the only way you can approach him, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, rightly, is through the amazing grace of God found in Jesus Christ alone. Do you pray with intentionality and with a faith-filled expectation that God hears and answers? Maybe some of us today would have to say, Pastor, in complete honesty, my praying is really, it's just more about my comfort than anything else. I fail to realize that God's heart is ultimately for his glory and my good. And that means he's using the good, the bad, and the ugly to mold and to shape me into his image. If you're here today and you've never placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, then I invite you to take that step of faith. Father, we thank you for your word today. We thank you for how it challenges us, how it instructs us. Lord, as we continue to look at the Psalms through this summer, I pray, God, that you would mold and shape us by the power of your word and the power of your Holy Spirit. Lord, we know and recognize today that there is nothing in ourselves that would qualify us to come before you in prayer. It's not because Mike has been a good boy, <laughs> been better than most. It's not because I'm a pastor, but I come to you solely on the basis of a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, stir us in the midst of this broken, sinful world to know and understand who our true enemy is. He's wrecking homes, marriages, families, relationships, distracting us, even with good stuff. Lord, I pray that you would mold and bend and shape our wills so that they are aligned to yours. We love you. We thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from First Baptist Church of Van Alstine. For more information about our church, visit www.fbcva.com.